0: I started volunteering at Suicide Prevention Services as a 21-year-old kid. I got this insight about how to disentangle my thoughts, how to work through difficult emotions, and all it takes is a little bit of connection. And I started learning about what motivates people to change their behavior at the least likely point of their willingness to change.
1: Welcome to Coffee with Romina. This is your host, Romina Tai, award-winning leader, negotiation and sales expert, and your new favorite podcaster. Each week, we bring you inspiring stories from extraordinary people of diverse industries, sharing practical advice and tips on how to overcome career and personal obstacles. Define your own success and take charge of your own destination. Thank you for spending time with us today. Now let the show begin. Hello my beautiful people and welcome back to Cafe Coromina podcast i hope you guys are having a tremendous and a beautiful and a fabulous and a gorgeous and a happy and a sunshiny day if that's even a word (laughs) i miss you guys i know i've been absent for a little bit over a month a lot going on over here before we jump into today's episode i will do a quick recap of what in the world has romina been up to so unfortunately i had covid it was definitely not fun it was something that i wish i don't experience again you guys but we are all good we are all healthy if i was to compare it with a common fluid least the way that i experienced it is that it was about a time and a half worse from the flu that i've gotten before but we are all good thank you thank you to all our heroes our first responders that definitely are out there helping us and just making us feel better even emotionally but health wise you guys are definitely the heroes when it comes to this global pandemic and secondly what in the world romina has been up to not only attending conferences and improving myself just learning a lot more or learning as much as i can i actually just came from a conference in Miami with Patrick Pat Davis. So if you guys follow Patrick Pat Davis, he's amazing, phenomenal. The Vault Conference, I would say it's like, a four-year degree condensed in two days it was intense for me but it was amazing i learned so much and i have so much study to do on the booklet they gave away as well as the podcast movement conference in nashville which was at the beginning of august that was another amazing conference so with that being said you guys just expect a lot more cool information coming from the podcast itself number one number two make sure to go ahead and subscribe to connect so this way you always stay in touch and and you always stay in tune to what in the world Romina is going to post next because we have some fun projects coming your way. That's all I'm going to say. And to top everything off, this summer, as you guys might know, you follow me on social. I'm also a student because I'm determined to get my degree because I want it and because I want it, and because I want it. <laughs> this summer, I actually took five courses. I know, I don't know what I was thinking. It was a lot. I mean, it was extremely a lot, especially going through the finals whenever you have COVID. That was definitely an experience. <laughs> but we finalized five classes, you guys, and this is... I need to give like a proper applause. This is the last semester for Romina. I'm sorry about the loud applause, you guys, but I had to. There you go. I tried to make it quiet. (laughs) Well, today's episode, actually, it's with my very good friend Dan Stover, and I'm excited about today's episode, you guys, because as you heard a little bit on the intro, we are going to talk about emotional intelligence and how we'd be able to motivate ourselves or motivate others whenever we feel like there's zero hope left, and what can we change to actually just trigger our logic and emotions to think differently, because... At the end of the day, some of us are really synchronized with our emotions and we really synchronize with our intuition or just how we feel and why we feel the way we feel. But often we might feel like amazing, right? Like you wake up, you're like, I'm going to take over the world today because I woke up super duper early and the coffee's kicking in right and I'm listening to this episode and just sounds amazing. And then like two hours later, you're like, I feel like the biggest loser in this world because i don't know what's happening well that's where emotion intelligence lies because you have to recognize you have to be self-aware of what's happening you have to be self-aware of your feelings of your surrounding and things that might trigger your emotions to deteriorate from being super high to very low or vice versa or just being constant very low for a while because being super high being super duper high in emotions i mean that's a really great feeling because you're just energized and motivated to keep going right and that's exactly what we're going to cover today i want to thank dan again again, for actually being a part of the podcast. This conversation is definitely one of my favorites. And as the biggest takeaway from this conversation, I have multiple big takeaways, but one of the things that I want you guys to also pay close attention to is when we talked about seeing red flags as opportunities to start conversation and explore more. Because in this world, there are red flags and there are mixed signals. But sometimes the other party is not necessarily trying to give us a red flag, trying to give us a mixed signal. It's just the way that they communicate might not be exactly what they meant. I love how Dan explains it and the ways how you can deeper question to find out the true intentions behind those mixed signals or that red flag and how you'd be able to see if somebody is trying to manipulate you, for instance, or if somebody is just trying to have a hard time communicate their thoughts and their feelings because it's not easy to communicate. Let's just say how it is. And this is why this podcast is out there, you guys, for you to learn how to communicate, for you to manage your emotions, to grow personally, to grow professionally, and just learn as much as you can and redefine your own success definition. I don't want to lose a lot of time before today's episode. I just want to give you guys a quick reminder to go ahead and hit the subscribe button wherever you are getting your podcast, choose from. As well as if you are listening from Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give us a five star review and a short comment, tell us how awesome this episode was. And I think I said everything, you guys. So the only thing left for me to say is enjoy. Hi, Dan, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing so well, Ramina. Thank you for having me on.
1: Absolutely. You guys, I'm excited about this episode because we are going to talk about emotion intelligence. But before we get to the juicy questions and dive in into the conversation, Dan, I want to pass on the mic to you if you want to tell the audience a little bit, how did you really go about having the career that you have? Because it's not a normal career, I would say either.
0: Yeah, I take a lot of pride in that. It is not at all a normal career. Uh, at one time, fly around the country and now Zoom around the country and world to talk to business people about their feelings. <laughs> uh, so it is, a, it is a unique experience. So my my story of getting here is a bit unique too. We have to go all the way back to high school, interestingly enough. Despite growing up in a very rural area of the Midwest, Uh, There was this woman that was a teacher at my high school, Mrs. Rogers, that was really passionate about making sure we, as rural kids, had access to a psychology course. So I took a psychology one and two program um, when I was in high school, absolutely loved it, pursued psychology in undergrad and ultimately grad school. But there was a particular inflection point that's really special to my heart that I feel really led me to doing this work. When I was coming out of undergrad and kind of getting to the other side of my own mental health crucible. I didn't really understand my emotions or my thought patterns when I was a 20, 21 year old kid and struggled a lot and got some help both in mindfulness practices and therapy. And I really wanted to pay what I learned forward. So I started volunteering at Suicide Prevention Services as a 21-year-old kid. I think I was barely 21 at that point, still in my own therapeutic journey and process. But the idea was I got this insight about how to disentangle my thoughts, how to work through difficult emotions. And I was having such a hard time with that. I thought, man, if I can do this, anybody can figure this out. They just need to understand that there are some steps you have to take to get there. So what happened at Suicide Prevention Services and all of the really wonderful training, like psychopharmacology and and clinical training and how to have a a really uh, good approach to getting someone to help themselves, I found it to be sometimes a little too sterile and a little too clinical. And so I just started being a real person (laughs) Uh, in talking to people in crisis and talking to families that had a loved one in crisis. And I started to find this groove and cultivate this skill of being a professional, but also being a real human being rather than someone who's only got uh, maybe clinical warmth or professional warmth, but like real warmth and real genuine connection in a moment of absolute crisis. And what it started to teach me was that even people who feel hopeless, feel helpless, lost, literally lost their will to live, there's hope. And all it takes is a little bit of connection. And I started learning about what motivates people to change their behavior at the least likely point Of their willingness to change. So I was like, well, what do I do with this? Um, I'd been put on a couple mental health boards at that point and was doing training and coaching and mentoring on how to do this with people in crisis, but it was all volunteer work. Mm -hmm. So ultimately I met a clinical psychologist who turned into a consulting psychologist doing executive coaching and leadership development training named Steve. And I got to be his understudy for seven years and completely transform my life and my career finding a way to apply what could be called emotional intelligence from this very, you know, crisis intervention perspective to business. So the running joke is turns out like crisis intervention and like managing a team or owning a company weren't that far apart emotionally after all, because it transferred over perfectly. And then about two and a half years ago in 2018, it was time for me to leave the nest and start my own firm and partners. So that's the real truncated version of, of how I ended up here.
1: Out of curiosity, when it comes to the crisis hotline, uh, which it's a really great resource that we have in America, I mean, in my country in Albania, unfortunately, it's not so I love the resource that we have. But is it more males or females that you would get phone calls from? I'm
0: I'm out of touch with the the actual data, so I'm kind of pulling were, from memory. Yeah, when
1: you were when you were there, yeah,
0: yeah, it was it was a lot of men. Um, there were there were definitely more men than women, but also if I were to take a guess, probably two thirds men and a third women. Um, from what I recall, but it's a little fuzzy. So,
1: would you say is because typically males are supposed to be a man and supposed to be the macho man and the you know, have the ego in it. And then females talk about everything left and right. Uh, Would you say that has to do with that too? Just the way that we are grown up and the society expectations of emotions for men?
0: Yeah, there's an element of truth in that. Um, So I'll, I'll say the same thing, maybe a slightly different way. Sometimes that machismo or masculinity is defined by not having feelings like you're called weak, or you're called a sissy, or, you know, there's kind of those more extreme um, kinds of conditioning as a child and young adult, ultimately becoming adult, and not only not knowing what to do with your emotions or how to talk about them, but actively suppressing them, because there's this unconscious belief in their head, that feeling your feelings is actually bad. Like I shouldn't be having these very natural feelings like, anxiety, sadness, grief, hurt, things like that, um, when ultimately those are normal and healthy feelings to process. Yeah. But even without those extremes, boys are typically conditioned differently than girls in in respect to expression. It's a stereotype, but it tends to be true. It's changing and evolving, fortunately. But a lot of little boys, when they're very emotional, Adults aren't processing them with the same way they might with a little girl. So boys are typically taught like feeling feelings is awkward or uncomfortable and maybe not appropriate, which as you grow older gets associated with your sense of masculinity. So the trick for a lot of men and the work for a lot of men is starting to appreciate and experience that masculinity is act and strength is actually the ability to feel all of our feelings and do something productive with them, or just simply be able to sit with them and not have to do anything. But that feeling your feelings is masculine and strong.
1: So do you think it has to start with a parent like helping their children like actually express and process their emotions? Do we start at the very beginning to be able to help our you know, our young society, which is going to be our future leaders at the end?
0: It sure helps parents who can be really attuned to their child's emotions and make it safe to feel feelings. Like it's not the feeling, the feelings that are the problem. It's that we start reacting outwardly to an extreme sometimes, especially when we're little. Um, And then how our parents react to us actually lets us know what's okay and what's not okay. So there's this real tricky line to walk where feeling the feelings are fine And then you still got to socialize your kid and help them understand that like going over the top isn't helping anything either. And that's a really hard line to walk. But to your point, the more that parents do that, the more of a leg up children have when they become adults to be emotionally mature and wise and socially sophisticated, but even just as simple as looking people in the eye, there's a direct link to how we were parented in, in respect to emotional attunement.
1: Perfect. So this episode, you guys, actually, for the audience, we have prepared questions to help the adults, actually, as a matter of fact, grow their emotional intelligence, which, which is a domino effect when it comes to their children, to their families and everything. But before we go there, let's actually clarify what is emotion intelligence.
0: Yeah, uh, there's quite a few definitions of it. So when I pull from the people who originated the term it's really our ability to identify, understand, and use our emotions productively in our relationships, our communication, our work. And I've landed there because I think the uh, the word ability, everybody should realize that emotional intelligence is a skill. So we're all good at something. We're all skilled at something, right? And most people attribute emotional intelligence to a personality trait which is kind of like saying you either have it or you don't. And that's completely untrue. So emotional intelligence it is simply a skill or an ability that can be cultivated and grown over time. And I'm still yeah. growing in mine. The other piece is identifying and using our emotions. We're having feelings and thoughts all the time, but most of them we're unaware of. And the more intimately we understand our thoughts and feelings, the more productive we can then be. Because if I don't know I'm angry... If I'm unaware of my frustration, if I'm not paying attention to how stressed I am, it's going to start leaking and spilling out onto everyone else and everything else around me, making me less productive and making me less relatable to people. So emotional intelligence is this way about walking through life that is more intentional than you would otherwise be if you weren't focusing on it.
1: So would you say we have to start challenging our emotional intelligence once we recognize those triggers and once we start wanting to start thinking things differently? Is that the beginning of the phase where we start getting better?
0: The beginning is always self-awareness. So, so you going on, you latching onto the identity or uh, identification pieces is, is just right. So we need to become aware of three things. And that's the start of your emotional intelligence journey. Number one, what thoughts are you having? Because some are really productive and constructive and rational. Other thoughts are completely fear based, totally irrational, not in the realm of possibility or totally out of our control. So we need to be aware of, you know, am I thinking rationally or am I often making catastrophic predictions about the future? The second thing we need to be aware of is our feelings themselves, our emotional experiences. And part of this is being able to differentiate the two. I'll ask people how they feel and they'll say, well, I think, and then tell me where their thought is. It's like, that's not a feeling. Our feelings are things like joy, contentment, happiness, distress, anxiety, nervousness, inspiration. Like those are our feelings. So knowing those is the second piece. And then third, we need to know our tendencies. So when I'm feeling content, how I show up in the world is very different from how I show up when I'm frustrated or angry, whether I know I'm on um, those things or not. So that is what gives you the power of choice in terms of how you interact with the world, because my goal, and I think people who are on this path, their goal too, is to be more consistent. So whether I'm angry, content, happy, or anxious, I'm showing up and connecting with people to the best of my ability as consistently as possible. So you're not getting dramatic fluctuations in me as a person. I take a lot of pride in being very, fairly consistent and predictable. And that fosters a lot of good in our personal life and our professional life. So focus on the leadership side of this to make it real in business. Followers need leaders who are predictable and consistent to even just do their job, let alone stay, let alone overperform or go above and beyond. I mean,
1: but I feel like predictable and consistent also builds reputation that you can absolutely trust your leader, because it helps with their authority to know that they're the right person to, you know, to follow.
0: Exactly right. Everybody's spidey sense turns on a little bit when we're around somebody who's all over the place or having high highs and low lows. So working through those is the key element to developing that trust.
1: Say, so how can we stay proactive instead of reactive whenever we are in those high mixed feelings, emotions?
0: Yeah, that's such a good question, Ramina, because we often think about what to do in the moment, but we often forget that moment has a whole bunch of preparation to it. So we never know when that moment's going to happen, but what is all the work we have done on ourselves in advance of that moment happening? Meaning I work with a lot of leaders who basically get out of bed and it's on, like they're flying through their day and just it's it's nonstop and it's a barrage. They have a much harder time dealing with those moments and knowing what to do when there's emotional triggers getting involved and in such than the leaders who really take intentional time every morning to do whatever it is that they need to be emotionally, intellectually and spiritually fulfilled each day. And it could be in the evening too, but you know, hashtag self-care gets thrown around a lot and it's kind of thrown around in ways that, you know, maybe aren't as helpful as they could be. But what I really mean to say is our emotional bandwidth, our ability to handle really intense moments in business and with other people depends on what we've done to meet our own needs in advance. Of that moment actually happening, and then there, are, of course, there are de-escalation tactics in a moment to bring ourselves down or bring the temperature in a room full of people down that also work. But I couldn't stress enough that like that prep of how we take care of ourselves is the most instrumental piece of how we'll handle a difficult situation.
1: So I wanted to also focus a little bit on self-care because I think it's absolutely important for you to fill up your own emotional and you know energy tank before you can help somebody else. Because if you're running low, then you're going to burn like the car, right? (laughs) Don't change the oil, oil will go, blob the the transmission engine. And congratulations, you cannot help anybody anymore. So how important is this self-care? Because sometimes, you know, like you said, people throw the hashtag self-care all over. But what is it really self-care? Like what emotional satisfaction should it give you to know that you're in the right path?
0: That's such a great question. I was meeting with a financial wealth advisor the other day, and we just, we had a great conversation about this. And it really boils down to understanding what needs you have as a person. So some people have a need to be inspired. Well, what is it that makes you feel inspired? And what, here's what I mean by this. There's lots of people who say, do yoga, meditate exercise every day, whatever that means to whomever that's saying it, right? There's there's all these two do's. Yeah. That That's not where to start. Anybody can do yoga and anybody can meditate. Anybody can Peloton or weightlift or run or whatever. And you may or may not get that need met that you have. So if you understand what you actually need on a more intimate level, like I need inspiration, I need intellectual fulfillment. I need like spiritual time. Understanding what those needs are gives you a platform to ask yourself what is it that I can do to meet those specific needs that work for me? So, mine personally, I have a need for calm and contentment in my life and meditation on a daily basis gives me that that Mm -hmm. space. And it's only 20 minutes. I mean, I can sit longer than that, but the daily practice is at least 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Additionally, a need to feel strength and a need to feel like I am taking care of my body is really important. So I'm, I'm real proactive about my overall health and nutrition in a way that works for me. And then I also like to do kettlebell exercises and hiking and stuff. And I and I also have a need for inspiration, which is often my time in nature and, and doing photography in nature. And that's where I really get my need for inspiration met. Nobody should copy my playbook unless it works specifically for them. Each of us should kind of have our own way about getting those needs met. And that is true self-care.
1: And I love it because we're kind of covering the three most important points for self awareness, like we talked about earlier, Your our thoughts, our feelings, our, our contendencies. That does, once those are fulfilled, then we can move forward a little bit more because working on yourself, then moving further. So I wanted to kind of dive in a little bit more because em- logic, emotion, balance is not easy for you to find that perfect balance. So once you, let's say you're mastering your self awareness, when can you, how can you balance those logic and emotional steps two? to know that you're also doing good for yourself and for others as well.
0: Yeah, there's really no perfect emotional intelligence and and mastery of it is the recognition that it is a moment to moment thing. Mm -hmm. And so you could have one moment at 10am where you are totally aware and engaged and allowing yourself to be very logical and in touch with whatever it is you're doing. And by 10.05, you're totally unconscious and you're not sure what's going on anymore. You're just an autopilot again. And so the mastery of this and staying as close to it as possible is just reminding yourself as many moments as you can throughout the day to check in you know, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What do I need? What's my highest and best right now? What action best fits my integrity? You know, these are thoughts that are really hard to fit in in a busy business day with a a high amount of obligations and demands. But it's, it's that simple. It's really simple, but it's really hard to implement. But it makes the mastery of this fun. It's like the same reason people play golf is like you never really get perfect at it, which is frustrating, which is motivating, and then we, we stay on it and feel a little accountable to keep trying. I think of emotional intelligence similarly to that.
1: You just get better with it every time for every practice.
0: Yep, exactly. The swing gets a little better with every intentional moment paying attention.
1: <laughs> what did you say, though, maybe for the leaders out there that... It- First off, let's start with the managers. Managers, I want to become slowly leaders because managers, I feel like they're just the micromanaging, you know, people on top of you that just tell you one, two, three, four to do. And that's how employees get frustrated. What can managers start doing to become leaders slowly before we even jump into, you know, leadership? But what can we maybe change with our employee relations
0: Managers first need to really appreciate where they are. So so managers are in this awkward position where they have authority, right? And they are a leader to followers while also being a follower to another authority. And th- what I've found is that is very psychologically difficult for most managers to deal with. And it's largely unconscious until we talk about it. So until we, we talk about this reality that you're getting pulled in two different directions, it's hard enough... To help your followers understand themselves, understand how their job impacts the mission of the company, accountability conversations, mm-hmm. feedback, all of that is, is challenging enough. And then, yet, you have obligations and responsibilities coming to you through a leader above you. And then, also, you know, our relationship to authority as human beings is like fraught with complications um, and issues. And, and the reality of that is, you know, nobody's parents were perfect. None. There's no such thing. I mean, they
1: never got a guidance how to be a parent, right? Yeah.
0: Everybody tries their best. So this (laughs) is like a universal thing where we're all in it together, right? Nobody's parents were perfect and doesn't matter where you're from or who you are or what you look like. We can all count on that universal truth. And so when we're really impressionable and we're really little and our brain is malleable, our entire context for a relationship to authority comes from our parents and it's imperfect, right? Well, what most people don't appreciate that I think affects managers the most is that those interpretations of authority start to manifest in business. So as a uh, authority figure to other people as a manager, and then having an authority figure above you, very complicated emotionally, and we start projecting things. And the kind of easy way to say it is that we either become our parents or we rebel against them or both in our actual leadership style. And then we can also have really complicated expectations that we project onto our bosses because of that complicated relationship to authority. So an easy example of this, I had trust issues and they came from childhood. right? And then I have this wonderful boss And I have trust issues with him now all of a sudden, despite the massive investment and amazing person he was to me. And we made that connection and it was really powerful for me. So why I like to tell that story and talk about this is that if you are an authority um, and you have followers, do not underestimate your ability in pretty straightforward conversations to completely change the way they think. And completely change their life as a result. So, but it takes a certain level of courage and emotional intelligence to have these kinds of conversations. But that's what that's what I'm here for. You know, that's what I really want to help people do.
1: And well, I love it that you mention the authority, especially with the parents, because. I didn't even realize I was doing this myself. But for the longest time, I had a grudge against my parents because I had higher expectations for them when they moved to America. Even though it was a struggle, they didn't speak English. But I was like, you're the parent. You're supposed to lead. Like, I feel like I'm the parent now. Sometimes I make fun of it because I have two kids. I said mom and dad (laughs) whenever I help them with everything. So for me, it took a lot to process the fact that people make the best decision they can with the resources that they have, and not necessarily allowing them to feel guilty. So for other people to kind of get the stamped in their brain that people make the best decision they can with the resources they have, because nobody wakes up and say, hey, I'm gonna be a jerk this day, like this morning, or I'm gonna be mean to everybody that I see. How do we help the audience to actually practice patience throughout this new mindset recalibration, I would say?
0: Uh, It's recalibration is a great way to say it. And and the work that all of us are responsible for, like I kind of laughed when you were saying that because it's like that sounds like everybody's 20s where you kind of wake up to your own adulthood and then you look at your parents and you're like, where were you? <laughs> Why didn't you figure out what I've just realized? Like, have a year and a point. half
1: more to to make them guilty. I'm still in my twenties.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so then the work is at first. You know, true to our conversation, you got to yeah. be aware of it, and you have to appreciate two things and this is hard, hard work. I personally, this was an accomplishment that I got in therapy, and I don't know if I would have got it or as quickly without therapy, was actually first understanding their humanity, that they're just people. And the label parent comes with a whole host of expectations that are far and above the right to just be a human being that's imperfect right? A lot of people have innate desire for their parents to be perfect. Most people grow out of it and see their parents for who they are as just Mm -hmm. human beings, right? The second then is really an embodiment of emotional intelligence. It's to either have grace or forgiveness by understand and I mean, most importantly, towards yourself, but them too. And what I mean by that is being able to work with and have grace, even forgive yourself for projecting a ton of expectations on two people who are already doing their best and also being able to have grace and forgiving them for not being able to meet all of your needs because of their own humanity. So that's a huge conversation and a lot of work and I didn't do that work on my own. So if you know there's listeners out there that are like, well, you know, how do I get started? You know, talking to somebody I find to be the most efficient effective way to really do that work.
1: Would you say maybe like staying grounded sometimes in a high conflict moment? Is it better for you to walk away and refresh your brain with some more oxygen before you go back to that high intense conversation with a parent or somebody in authority or your partner? Or would you say it needs to be done in like a one moment, you know, like let's talk about this, let's get to the root of the issue? What did what did you think would be the best approach for it? Or is it different for everyone?
0: Personal responsibility comes to mind here, and the personal responsibility each of us have um, in our families, in our friendships, in our business relationships, is to be aware of the moment that a conversation has no longer become productive because someone or all of us have been emotionally hijacked. The emotions have flooded. That is something that happens, so there's no shame in that but now we can't have a productive conversation because the emotions have hijacked the logical brain of one person or all people in the conversation. So you're exactly right. The suggestion then is to thoughtfully suggest, request or, you know, demand a break. Mm-hmm. And so there's been there's variants in the literature But I think if you really want to be safe in terms of what kind of break you need, chemically speaking, about 20 minutes is about the sweet spot where you can count on probably being cooled off and going back to a productive conversation. But it might only take five minutes. It might take an overnight and sleeping on it. But taking that time is really important because once you're emotionally hijacked, it's true that the prefrontal cortex... Where our executive functioning, the CEO of our brain, our logical, reasonable part of us, has shut down. So we all have to kind of have a sense for you know is my brain back online? Am I able to think reasonably yet? Am I able to be constructive? And the answer is no. It's not time to restart the conversation yet. And that can take a long time in some instances. But heat of the moment, if you can recover quickly, twenty minutes is a good time frame.
1: And I think you guys, if you cannot really measure 20 minutes, which, you know, everybody can, I think you can just think of, you know, connecting your computer back with DSL, just give it 20 minutes, you know, just think about the beep, beep, the whole noise. And I feel like that's actually going to bring nostalgia and maybe bring memories too with the partner that you're, you know, trying to have to resolve the conflict. So since we're kind of like at the high intense conversations that you can have with somebody, would you say... Whenever you're getting mixed signals from the other party, would you translate them as red flags? Or would you translate them as opportunities for you to have a deeper conversation and try to understand, you know, a little bit better where they are thinking from? Because sometimes when people see red flags, they just say, I'm out, I'm not doing this. How would you approach uh, mixed signals?
0: Oh, that's two great questions in that one, it's both. So mixed signals could be a result of the person's struggle to articulate what they really mean to say, who doesn't do that, right? Everybody has moments where they struggle to be direct, or they, you know, they're thinking it in their head so crisp and so clear, but what's coming out of them, not so much. There's probably a part of them that recognizes it. So they might emotionally seem off in that same moment. So if they're simply struggling to articulate what they mean and and what they're trying to say and get it out of their head, there's a lot of understanding and working with that you can do. On the other hand, mixed signals could be a sign of something darker. Meaning whether they realize it or not, they're being manipulative or disingenuous, or they have an ulterior motive, hidden agenda, kind of maybe multiple agendas that, you know, some they would want to disclose, some they wouldn't. Those are the mixed signals that there's boundaries are what's necessary. When that's happening to me, the best approach is just very simple inquiry. Like I'm I'm having a hard time understanding what you mean by what you said. Or, you know, could you tell me a little more of what you're really trying to accomplish in this conversation or in that comment? And that will start to suss out quickly which one of those people they are, because the people who are just kind of struggling to get their thoughts out of their head in a meaningful way are are typically really appreciative and really responsive of that, that like, I'm glad I'm getting a chance to redo here. The people that it's the other category will probably get increasingly frustrated or combative or less cooperative in this. And that is a sign that maybe this isn't the right conversation to be having right now.
1: So I love how you mentioned boundaries, because I feel like all of us have our own boundaries and our own non negotiables in life, would you say maybe sometimes or would you say we should not negotiate our non negotiables to prevent future regret and maybe future blame as well? Or we should you know, sometimes be open to that opportunity.
0: Well, I think it's important to be really clear with yourself about what your non-negotiables are and what impact that has. Like, what are the unintended consequences of some of my non-negotiables? And I'll give you one professional one to make sense of this. I have been told for 10 years, the entire length of my career by so many other coaches and consultants never give work away for free, ever. Never do it. And that seems to be a more prevailing narrative than the flexibility and being giving and in the spirit of service, doing some work for free or pro bono or whatever. I have always lived by the philosophy that reciprocity wins in the end you know, that so, so you know, you may have to make a conscious choice of when you do pro bono work, or when you do something for free, or when you do something with no strings attached, you know, it's just from the goodness of your heart, and you get to feel good, and they got a need met, you have to be conscious about that choice. But at the same time, some people walk through life, having a boundary that they will never give their work away, or they'll never give their like what they have in their mind away for nothing. Mm -hmm. And I see a loneliness in a lot of those people. And a transactional way of going about the world that prevents some of them, not all of them, but some of them from having a more quality experience of the people they're interacting with every day. And so walking through life transactionally, even in business is a miserable experience for me. So that's how I'm wired. If you're wired like that too, you have to think about, well, what's the quality of the experience of this non negotiable I'm setting? Now, on the other hand, there are more obvious non negotiables. So, like an important one to go to in that conversation is things like around sexual harassment. You know, with the companies we coach and consult in, it comes up sometimes. Yeah. And in those moments, non negotiable is concrete there's no flexibility there's zero tolerance like there's a line and that sh- cannot be crossed and it
1: shouldn't be any tolerance there yeah
0: exactly so that's a that's an example of kind of the difference between how we treat non-negotiables and knowing what they are and thinking through them and for harmful behavior like that inappropriate disrespectful behavior the boundary is the boundary there is no flexibility and then there's stuff that becomes more nuanced right Like some people, like they will not take a meeting at a certain time of the day so that they can either do their yoga or ride their Peloton or that they can go for a run so that they can eat lunch. And it's an absolute non-negotiable that heightens the quality of experience of their life and the rest of their day. And they're better toward their colleagues for it. So I think that's the way I like to to think about how we set boundaries. So knowing what those non-negotiables are important and then kind of moving to what decisions do I need to then make that set me up for the most quality experience I'm, I can have in life while being really collaborative and cooperative with the people around me. And that's where the hard part is. Like it can't just be all about me and it can't be just all about them. Yeah. So what's that happy medium?
1: Well, something that from what you were sharing, you know, like sometimes people refuse to do work for free, it kind of reminded me of an Albanian expression, which for the audience that is listening to this in audio, I'll describe it to you guys. In Albania, we have this expression that we say, if you make your hand like a really tight fist, you're not letting any air go in or go out or nothing. But if you open it up a little bit, you let some air go in at the top and go out at the bottom. And this what allows you so like by helping some other people, which I'm a big fan of, you know, just helping with whatever I can allows some relationships to be created. It allows you know air to go through, allows energy to go through and it just it's better long term towards you know expanding that fist a little bit more to be able to let more flow. And I wanted to ask you because I know you also work with multiple cultures all over the world, especially now in Zoom, you can just you know do even more internationally. Is there certain cultures that are just overall higher on emotional intelligence than some others? And if there's a difference, what do you think would be like some fundamental reasons why?
0: It's such an interesting intellectual activity to think about emotional intelligence and international culture in one. Because in some ways, there's a a universal way of thinking about it. And then in other ways, behaviors and customs are so wildly different that we just have to appreciate that it's just different. It's not higher or lower emotional intelligence, but it's different. It's just their standard. Yeah. So what I mean by that is um, self mastery through self awareness and the ability to be composed. Right is pretty universally appreciated. So however you get there, right, whatever culture you've grown up in, that self mastery and ability to be composed in difficult moments, to be able to navigate a lot of stressful situations simultaneously. That's just appreciated. That's a universal truth of emotional intelligence that is available to every culture, but the way they go about it might look different, right? And then there's the really big differences that may lead to like misunderstandings that could be, you know thought of in the realm of emotional intelligence. But Japan comes to mind, and the appropriateness in the depth of your bow. if you're acknowledging of someone of authority, if I get that wrong, As a a white American man looking to do business in Japan, if they expect me to know that, Mm -hmm. right, I may be seen as, you know, emotionally unintelligent, or at least lacking some multiculturalism and understanding, you know, so they might not think of it in terms of emotional intelligence, but you can almost think of it in that way
1: that's yeah that's very interesting because we're going back to like the norms of every culture and everything and i know you guys if you follow me on social or everywhere uh dan also was a part of the negotiation club where we actually got a little bit more into details of using emotional intelligence as a negotiation skill and if you guys didn't miss that episode you were not a part of it feel more than free to reach out i would love to share the link with you guys too but i love it because in there that's where we start talking about a little bit more cultural differences as in albania for instance this is not an emotional intelligence thing you guys i know it can- make fun of it but in albania we say hey come over at six everybody shows around at nine and that's just the thing that we do and in america that'd be super disrespectful to you know you cannot just go to somebody's house hours late or knock on the door unannounced or without a prior call when in albania it just it's work there so i'm glad you brought up that you know that example in japanese because sometimes we also have to educate ourselves with the culture of the individual that we are associating ourselves with so this way we make sure we don't do nothing disrespectful or even if it's intentional. Oh, so let me ask you this. If it's an if it's unintentional by accident, how do you back up and save yourself from it?
0: Well, it depends on the relationship, right? So the other party, like the other people or the other person, are they forgiving of it? You know, do they understand? You know, because that changes. Uh, things a lot like I was invited to a Brazilian family dinner for someone I do business with and being a guy from the Midwest like when you show up to something if you're not five minutes early you're late (laughs) and so I showed up five minutes this early and the door opens and the guy I do business with is like what are you doing here (laughs) and I'm looking for my watch like did I do something wrong or like I'm so distraught And he's like, damn, people aren't going to show up for another like 90 minutes to two hours from now. And we both got a good laugh out of it. He understood immediately. I didn't even have to say anything. And now it's kind of a running joke. Like it's a good memory from, from that. If other people are not so understanding, staying calm and seeking to understand what the culturally appropriate thing to do would have been. And asking if I may try to do that again, or, or you know, can I do it differently now or next time you have my word, I'll respect this custom and you. you know, that's the approach. It, again, just being curious, being intentional, staying calm, that if somebody's upset with you, it doesn't mean you have to get upset back.
1: And I love how you say staying curious because when it comes from sales, because I come from a sales world, and when I'm saying curious, you guys, I'm not talking about being creepy. That's a whole other thing. Let's not do that. Uh, when you're staying highly curious, it just you would like to learn more so this way you can educate yourself more and you know you and your party can understand each other a lot better. Dan, I'm loving all this information. But before we jump to the closing questions, I wanted to get your perspective on what is the science of, you know, just smiling for a higher emotion, intelligent people. Like, is there a thing behind it? Because if you see somebody smile, you're going to smile. But like, what's happening there? I really want to know like the back end of it.
0: Oh, this is so good. So we have a cluster of neurons in our brain called the mirror neurons. And this particular cluster Is our hardwired kind of psychic ability to feel and experience what other people are feeling and experiencing. And we've all been around that range of of moments. So there are some moments where you're just like, gosh, I like how I feel around this person every time. Um, And they could be like somebody that you just end up like being next to in yoga or at the coffee shop multiple times a week or something, but you just, gosh, like that feels good. Your mirror neurons are picking up on this very positive grounded state that they're in. Similarly, but different, you know, we've all been around those people who kind of live in an agitated state, and we feel slightly more agitated just being in their presence, even if nothing is being spoken or drained. Yeah, exactly. And so this is happening all of the time. So bringing it to a smile, I love because if that smile is coming from such a genuine place in us of our own contentment, our own joy, our own gratitude and appreciation for human connection. It's pretty contagious immediately because of that cluster of neurons in the brain that wants to attune to other people. And what's interesting about those, you know, evolutionary theory would suggest all kinds of reasons for why those neurons are there. But what's important for where we are in society now is that we can use that information for good, you know, genuinely smiling when we're feeling good seeking out some just healthy connection with other people elevates their state. You know, that brings them to a state of more contentment or more joy or more gratitude because it's, it's contagious. (laughs) So in in a world where we're thinking about a contagion (laughs) in COVID-19, what a wonderful thing to add that like we can create a contagion of, of good feelings and good experiences and good vibes because we're hardwired for it.
1: I love it. And I think that smile is like an international thing because body language, you know, every culture has its own things. I love it. Sometimes I make fun with my American friends. I'll tell them like, you know, like got your nose, like the hand gesture is very offensive in Albanian, for example. Or if you do like the okay, that's offensive in Albanian. So like you have all this stuff that you don't know about other cultures. But I feel like smile is just an international thing that it's just a smile. Like it makes you feel happy. It's contagious. It's the mirror effect that you get from it, too. Let me ask you this, Dan, what's a new and exciting project that you're working on that you love to share with us?
0: Sure. My team and I are developing Insight Partners First Leadership Development Program, which will be a multi-month program of coaching, 360 evaluation and training. And when we're designing the training, it's been taking a long time because we're really trying to create something different, something that goes deep, something that helps people embody the best of themselves out in the world in their personal and professional life. And it's the kind that we would want to attend ourselves. So we're really excited about that.
1: Awesome. And where can others connect with you? Is there a specific website they can go to Mm -hmm. to reach out for more?
0: Yeah, if you'd like to stay in touch, which I'd love to connect with any of you, our website, nsitepartners.com, E N S I G H T partners.com. I'm on LinkedIn. DL Stover is the end of the URL for my LinkedIn page. <laughs> and uh, if you want to see my uh, my nature photography, which is completely separate from my work life, uh, it's at DL Stover
1: Perfect. On Instagram. And, and I'll put those links on the show notes, you guys. So for my lazy listeners, it's only a tap away. I mean, it cannot get easier than that, y'all. So Let's jump to the final question, which I know, I know I'm a little biased. This is my favorite question ever. I ask it every single episode. What is your personal definition of success?
0: I would say my my personal definition of success is based in something Maya Angelou said that we all probably know. And what comes to mind is uh, people will forget what you say, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And I've sat with that quote for years now and had some life experiences since I first heard it. And my ultimate definition of success is that I am remembered for being a kind, caring person who did everything they could for other people.
1: I love it. That uh, that reminds me to an episode that I did a while back about writing your orneology of how you want to be remembered as and doing the reverse engineering on it. Because I think it's absolutely very important if we want to be remembered as kind, as caring, as loving, We have to also do like a self-check sometimes. Like, are we there? What can we do differently? (laughs) But that's very important because once you affect people's, you know, emotionally and once you get a different type of, I would say, you know, level of emotional connection with somebody, that's that when you know you're making a huger impact. Dan, any last thing you'd like to share with the audience before we close the episode?
0: Just thanks for being along for this amazing conversation, Romina and, and audience. This has been really great to be with you.
1: You guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed the conversation with Dan and don't forget to look on the show notes for the links to connect with Dan for his LinkedIn profile as well as his website. Make sure to check out his Instagram page too as he always has amazing pictures. This guy is a real hiker. He's not kidding you guys, just so you know. (laughs) Well, from me, Romina, I hope you have an amazing day. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for next week's episode. Look out as we are going to talk about sales and negotiations and how you can take your business to the next level by following the right sales system till next week hope you have a great one this podcast is a six seven radius production to learn more about six seven radius our services and how we can help you strategize your marketing and increase your sales click the service tab on (laughs) connectwithromina.com